Abolition. Abolition. Yes. Um, my name is Sandy Ray, and I am. Oh, I'm so glad to hear y'all preach what I've been preaching. That that Stephen Davis's mother. I'm Stephen's mother. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to introduce for those of y'all who don't know uh, this this mother, her son <clears throat> was incarcerated at Donaldson Correctional Facility. And uh, he was beaten to death last year. You know, she's got the photos up. If you want to go and look at the photos, she shared them with all of us. Um, so I'm honored to have you on. It's very courageous for you to call in. We appreciate you calling in. I just wanted to acknowledge your son is a part of us. I, we know he's your son. And we, you know what I'm saying? We, and um, I just want to make sure I clarify that. But he's a part of us, too. He's a part of our struggle. He's one of our brothers. And, and so I just want to I just want to acknowledge and let you all know that her son's not even been uh, gone a year yet. You know what I'm saying? But she, this is who this is. So uh, go ahead, Ms. Ray. Yeah, Steve, yeah, I was going to just tell everybody. You know, you're telling people about the Department of Justice report. Yes, my son was mentioned in the Department of Justice report, and and like you say, that didn't get me any justice. It hasn't changed anything. So that's the reason we've got to continue that. For y'all, the last time I spoke, I spoke. I said, people, please, on the inside, send us these videos. Send us everything we need so that we can help you. So that we can, you know. It's not about me. It's about Stephen's legacy is let's not let nobody else have to go through what we went through as a family. And I've got to say, I stand there, and my sister, she's black, and she holds me while I cry at these things. And, you know, it's not an issue of color for us. Issue of what they're doing to her sons that are still in prison, and the fact that they might be dead tomorrow. You know, you never know. They, They broke every bone in my son's face. They stomped him and used the baton on them. There were six of them there when this happened. Um, but I feel so passionate. You know, I, if anybody's seen the videos of me, I am on oxygen. I've got COPD and emphysema. I've got like 25% lung capacity. But I promise y'all, Stevie will be dead a year, October 5th, until I can take no last Till my last breath, I will continue to tell my story to hope that it will change and make things better in the system. I don't know how it will, but I'm going to continue on and on. And I'm so honored to hear y'all speak. It's just, it just warms my heart and knowledge and the, that y'all know and the things that y'all know that I'm just a simple mama. I tell them, all I can do is get up here and say, I love y'all. I love y'all. All of y'all. And I hate to see y'all. God bless you, I know what y'all are going through. My son sent me pictures, and I've seen so many since he died. People have sent me pictures of what they're going through. And I just pray that we can get out of this. I never... I would have imagined that we were still in the slave days until until you made it, until they killed my son, and I realized 
what was really going on in Alabama. People don't do that, don't realize it. They don't they don't even know what they hear you talking but they're not listening. They're not listening. They're not listening unless they had it happen to them, they're not listening. Somehow or another we've got to make these people listen. And y'all y'all sound like y'all have it all rolling. Just tell me what I need to do. I'm here with you. I'm here with you. I'm here.
Uh, they got a hell of a plan, and they're making a hell of an impact. So if you haven't listened yet, make sure you check out the archives at abolitiontoday.org. You'll see them up there live from the plantation every Thursday, 7 p.m. Mountain Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Standard. Uh, so I want to give that, you know, start the program out with the real deal. This is what we're here for. We're talking about the family members, and we're not just talking about the exploitation uh, financially, but the harm being done to them. You know, just before the program started, I was uh, listening to Khalif Browder's mother speak. You know, after he committed suicide behind what had been done to him, she died not long after. So these are ripple effects of, of uh, what's happening to our family members. Yusuf? You're absolutely right. And that's a big picture that's never even discussed. You know, and as we're going to cover this evening, as we always lay out how things that are happening on the inside, but we, or it's rarely spoken of the the ripple effects of what goes on with the families. And, you know, I'm in so many groups where it's the families of the incarcerated and they just speak of how difficult things have been going through COVID because now they're no longer able to visit their families and it's affecting their abilities to even speak to them. So yeah, it's tough, Max. It's tough. And this is going to be a tough program. I was looking at the quarterly earnings report for JPay recently, thanks to a friend of ours showing them to us. And I saw that they had a dip right around when COVID really uh, first started because they were giving out free services. But basically, they're making like mm-hmm. $40 million a quarter. $40 million a quarter. And their right. price, I mean, their, their stock went right back up or their value went right back up uh, for their third quarter because they're no longer doing it for free. So, you know, if you can't visit them, now you got to pay for these video visits and phone calls. But there's a couple of things I want to get go over real quick before we start our program uh, and bring in our guest co-host. First thing is I want to remember my brother, Muyadin Debaha, uh, abolitionist and mm-hmm. leader of Charleston Black Lives Matter. Uh, September 19th, it was uh, me and him were together doing the PBS taping of America after Charleston. And you were there, too, as well, uh, Yusuf, remember? Absolutely. Uh, along with Leticia. Absolutely. And uh, we literally raised hell in the church that day. I miss that brother. For those that don't know, he was murdered a couple years ago. Uh, and I just wanted to remember him and that day that we went there and we raised some hell and made sense in a senseless world. And also, I want to give a couple of updates on the Utah and Nebraska efforts to remove legalized slavery from their state constitution. So if you're interested in supporting them, and they do need support, even if you're just sharing the information for Utah, you can go to abolishslaveryutah.org. And for Nebraska, you can go to nslaverynee.org, nslaverynee.org. They both need your support right now. We're making history, people. You know, we've already gotten Colorado and Rhode Island under our belt. Our plan is to get all the states to remove these exception clauses and those that don't have exception clauses to insert anti-slavery language into their state constitutions so that we can guarantee that slavery is abolished legally in the United States. So they need your support right now. Uh, I believe it's Amendment 1 in Nebraska. It's already on the ballot, and it's Amendment C in Utah. 
So if you see Amendment C in Utah or Amendment 1 in Nebraska, make sure you vote yes for that. Um, one other thing I want to say real quick is I got a video sent to me recently from Jamelia Land, and it was the wife of an inmate firefighter. Uh, I believe he was in Oregon, actually. I don't think it was in California. I think it was in Oregon. And the person mm-hmm. taking the video showed the conditions that these firefighters who were making a dollar or $2 a day uh, were in. So, you know, we're at the peak of COVID. They had these brothers sleeping in a tent, 30 of them, right next to each other with some sneezing and coughing and others clearly sick or at least uh, hard to breathe because of the smoke that they were dealing with. And there was no face mask, no protection, of no separation of any sort. And the brother was like, look, this is what how they're treating us. They are treating us like disposable people. And I noticed that as of yesterday, that video disappeared. But I saw it, and I'm here today to report that I yeah. saw it, that these brothers said this is what they're doing, and I saw them in the tent with the brothers sneezing and coughing all over each other. And that's what they're doing. They're treating them like disposable people. Yusuf? Yeah, I saw the video myself, so I'm I I I'm also a witness, and also that they were sleeping on the ground. That's another on point too. Mm-hmm. On the ground, you know, no covers. They didn't have any type of bedding or anything of that nature. They basically had rolled up clothes that they were using for pillows and things of that nature. So, yeah, I'm definitely a witness to that. Uh, I have a couple of announcements too, Max. You know. There's the free to 13th National Rally March that's occurring between October 26th through October 30th, and this is hosted by PLUS, Positive Leaders Unite in Solidarity. And this is going to occur over the course of five days. They have all types of information. There are flyers around. You can find more information if you go to on Facebook. Free, the 13th, National Rally, and March. And they also have their contact information for email addresses and the different Facebook pages of those who are organizing the rally. Also, we have coming up the Harvard September Divestment Campaign. And this is Hold on, my mouse is acting up a little bit, Max. You have to be patient with me this evening. <laughs> HarvardPrisonDivest.org is the website for those listening. That's HarvardPrisonDivest.org. Gives you a schedule of events. Yeah, I'm just knocked out of the loop for one second. I could have sworn I opened it when we were just talking a few minutes ago. So it's the free free them month. Uh, Actually, probably you're better only because, (laughs) well, I can can cover it and you can speak more when we get to the part that I'm really looking for. So we have coming up on September 25th at 1 p.m., there's Harvard and Slavery, then and now. I don't know if any – oh, it's going to be at – to register at all of these coming events that I'm going to mention, it's tiny, T-I-N-Y, dot C-C, slash, free them month. 
So on September 25th at 1 p.m., Harvard and Slavery, Then and Now. They have something that's coming up on the tw- or also on the 25th at 6 p.m., but it's to be announced. On the 28th at 6 p.m., we sued Harvard. Ask us anything. And on September 29th at 2 p.m., see you in court. Oral argument streamed live with one of the presenters or one of the arguers being our very own Maximus Parthas. Hey, congratulations on that, Max. Uh, thank you, brother. I, I will be there by, with some very trusted comrades who know a lot about this system, uh, two of them being uh, Sister Crystal Roundtree and also Brother SJ yes. from Jailhouse Lawyers Speak. So between the three wow. of us, we are going to drop the bomb on them. You know that already. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's going to be really heavy. And then there's also the Decarcerate Louisiana rally to end slavery at the Capitol on October 28th. Uh, do you have a time for that, Max? Um, no, I don't actually have the flyer in front of me at this point. So uh, I will get it up on our pr- page at Abolition Today for people to see. And they also have a Facebook page, Decarcerate Louisiana. I believe it's either 10 a.m. or 12 p.m., but I would definitely look at our page later. We'll have the flyer up. And you can also go to Decarcerate Louisiana on their Facebook page. So those are just the announcements that I wanted to get in, Max. Well, those are some pretty big announcements, man. Like I said last week, it's wonderful to have these types of announcements where organizations all across the nation are doing something to make a difference, to make an impact, whether it be universities or prisons or uh, 501c3s. Uh, they're all getting come together for the same reason. Uh, slavery's got to end. And we're not talking about some symbolic slavery. We're talking about this real slavery. Real slavery in every sense of the word is occurring in our prisons, and we all know it. So, yeah, and I'm going to give an update on Jeanette Smith, our teammate, too. You know, she broke both of her wrists, and she was in a hospital for about a month there uh, with both the wrists broken. She just got out recently, so uh, she's out of the hospital now and uh, recovering. But uh, it'll be a little while before she's able to uh, assist with the program yet. We wanted to just recover and uh, relax. So yeah, some get well prayers soon, healing out. Yeah, get well soon, no doubt. All right, yeah, so we this, miss you, though. We miss you, but don't rush back. <laughs> let's not waste too much more time. We got, you know, time is so precious with this program, man. We got so much to say and so little time. So let's go ahead and bring in our guest co-host for the evening, uh, Brother Josh Bowden out of Utah, who is running for con- Congress, I believe it's District 1, I may be wrong, but District 1 uh, for 2022. Am I correct, Josh? Oh, let me unmute you. My bad. It got it. He, t- uh, he, t- he should be coming on soon. There you go. Welcome to Abolition Today. Was I correct on that? Thank you, thank you. Yeah, you guys are absolutely correct. That's uh, District 1, and it will be for 2022. <laughs> Awesome. You well, welcome to the show, Josh. Welcome. It's definitely great having you here. So, first things first, uh, were you able to catch the opening tracks of the, of the program? And if so, what do you think of them? Yeah, I, I did catch that. I uh, I thought that was really heavy. It was, um, especially the, the the last words of Sandra Bland that that hit me. 
Um, yeah. it, it always, it just, gosh, my heart breaks. Yeah, yeah, definitely powerful, powerful words coming there. Reminding people that these are our sisters and brothers, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters. You know, I, I heard a uh, white supremacist today on YouTube. Somebody sent me the video who were basically attacking JLS, JL House Lawyer Speaks. And he was talking about how uh, prisoners shouldn't be out here fighting for rights. And who's going to listen to prisoners? They gave that right up when they became prisoners to have anybody care about what's happening to them. And the ignorance was just so, so horrible, man. Genocidal Mm. ignorance. So, you know, I'm thinking, you don't realize that the vast majority of people are in prison for nonviolent, drug-related, or poverty-related crimes. That that never dawned on you. You think that some weed smoker deserves to lose everything. Somebody who's a tax evader deserves to die. Or somebody who just didn't pay their insurance and got caught with no insurance, and now they're in prison for it. They deserve to, to die, huh? They deserve no rights whatsoever. It's just pure ignorance. What do you think of that, Josh? I, I agree 100%, especially because I'm looking at some stats right now, and uh, there, there's currently in local jails 470,000 non-convicted people in jail. So it's just like some of these people haven't even been convicted of a crime. They haven't pled guilty or anything. So it's like how can you how can you say that their life doesn't matter? You know, for all you know, they're completely innocent. Right. Right. And And on top of that – you know, we see every time we turn around, there's someone being exonerated after having spent decades in prison for a crime that they didn't commit. And usually the cause of the person spending that time was because of official misconduct, prosecutorial misconduct, failure to turn over evidence, exculpatory evidence, and, and yeah. things of this nature. So, you know, while the person is doing the time, the person who sent them there is climbing up the prosecutorial chain and they becoming judges and the cycle just continues. So exactly. it's on both ends, those that haven't been convicted and also of those who have been convicted because many people get convicted with little to no evidence. It's very easy, you know, to convict someone and it's very hard to overturn a conviction. We're probably going to hear from many of our callers that are going to call in later on, uh, Max. Probably, man. I want to ask Josh a couple of personal questions, if you don't mind. Um, The first one is, you know, standard. How did you become an abolitionist? What woke you up? Because, you know, we all remember what it was that got us. Me, I got hit with Angela Davis when she was talking about the 13th Amendment and we need a 21st century abolitionist movement. And suddenly it all clicked for me because I I really wasn't aware of the 13th Amendment like that. So, and for Yusuf, he he points at me. He's like, Max told me, (laughs) you know. What happened (laughs) with you? Yeah, so the earliest example I can think of is... uh, when my dad was first teaching me about the constitution, I was maybe nine or 10 years old and we were going, you know, just down the list of each amendment and everything. He was trying to explain everything to me in ways that I could understand. And he couldn't explain why we would still have legal slavery as punishment for a crime. That didn't sit well with me. Um, you know, years go by and I, I basically, I, I feel like, you know, there's no way anybody would ever take advantage of that. You know, people aren't that evil. You know, I, I had that naive childhood <laughs> sense of, you know, the people in 
authority or good. They're not going to take advantage of anybody, you know. But as I grew up, you know, more and more things started coming to light. You know, the Internet especially was helpful with all these activists out there. You know, they're finally getting attention on the news. They're, you know, finally able to share stuff online and get viral attention that way. And stuff started to catch my eye. And I started hearing about, you know, forced labor and prisoners having to do, you know, work for 20 cents on the hour, 10 cents on the hour, you know, and almost everything that is made in America, you know, you get that made in the USA sticker, almost all of that's made in a prison somewhere. And I started learning about mm-hmm. these things and it's just shocking me more and more and more. And, you know, I've always believed that, you know, the United States is supposed to be that beacon on the hill, so to speak, you know, that freedom, you know, that American dream is supposed to be for everybody. And so the more I learned, the more angry I got at the system. And eventually I'm just like, you know, I have to do something about this. I don't know what I can do, but I'm going to, I'm going to start, you know, joining some protests to get involved and learn from people who've been doing this for years. Word, word. Uh, Yes, we all feel that way, I think. You know, me, I went through all five stages of grief. And most of the abolitionists I know who have really gone down the rabbit hole as far as they can go have went through all five stages of grief. Because once you realize the level of betrayal and how long and how horrible things really are, it's just it's just heartbreaking. And it's, it's a betrayal that really makes you question a lot of things, if not everything. Um, Yusuf, did you want to ask another question? Uh, and, and, and if you do, and when you do, after that, I'd like to let him listen along with us to the clip about Global Telelink and see what he thinks about that and what his plans in Congress are for a company like that. Well, Max, we can go straight into that uh, next clip because you know we are going to be short on time, and I see we have some callers already in the queue. For when we open yes. up phone lines later So we can go ahead with that Alright so we're going to play this clip It's how Global Telling Gouges families Prison profiteers with Henry Rollins We'll be right back after this Think your phone company charges too much? Try Global Telling The biggest phone company for prisoners and their families Global Telling makes more than 500 million a year Charging sky high rates To the very people who are least able to pay my name is Kenny. I'm nine. Here's me. Here's my mom. And here's my dad. He's tall and he's funny. Mm. He is in jail. And do you get to visit him a lot? No. My son's father is in Hardiman County, CCA. We can't make the commute as often to see his dad because the commute is like almost a four hour drive. Phone calls are a problem because they cost too much and uh, I have other bills. I'm a single parent. The service provider we use is Global Telling. What they do is they enter into contracts with the state prisons, county jails, detention centers, and prisoners and their families have no choice but to make calls through Global Telling. I want to put this in a little perspective here. Call via private company Global Telling costs a dollar and 13 cents a minute. That's about 17 bucks for a 15-minute phone call. $17 just to hear a loved one's voice, while everyone else can talk to people across the globe for next to nothing. How does Global Telling get away with it? By rigging the system. It gets contracts by offering kickbacks to the prisons. The bigger the kickback, called a commission. 
the more likely the prison is to give the contract to Global Tellink. The cost gets passed on to families through high prices. contact that prisoners have with people on the outside, you know, support networks like family and friends, the more likely they are to succeed both in prison and when they get out. In 2013, the FCC announced it would cap prison phone rates, but that just affects calls from state to state. Most prisoners' family members, like Latanya and Kenny, make their calls within a state. Without more action, their rates will stay high. If I could talk to my dad right now, I'd say I miss him. All right, there you have it. Uh, Josh Bowden here today with us at Abolition Today. You just heard how Global Telling gouges families, prison profiteers with Henry Rollins. If you are elected in Utah, District 1, Congress, what would you do about something like that? It's all over the country. Well, so one, one thing I want to direct people to is the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution. It says excessive bail shall not be required nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. If, if you ask me, I, I have a very strong feeling about this. Um, requiring families to pay outrageous sums of money just to talk to their incarcerated family members is not only an excessive fine being imposed upon the incarcerated and their family, but that's cruel and unusual. It prevents people who are in poverty from speaking with their family members. You know, And so one of the first things I'd want to do is you know, immediately pass, you know, get, get some legislation passed to make that illegal. You know, we shouldn't be charging any money for people to talk with their family members. That's a brilliant answer, brother, especially since we did two episodes on the Eighth Amendment by itself. <laughs> like, yeah, you're, you're <laughs> absolutely on point. That's a good defense right there. That is cruel and unusual punishment. Why are you making family members suffer like they did something? You know, even in jail when nobody's been convicted yet, you're making family members suffer. I don't know how many times I've heard friends of mine talk about how they had to sell their car or hawk their car or get a loan on their house because of bails or fines or fees. As a matter of fact, the average uh, cost to prison families is over $13,000 a year. And these are usually people who are already in poverty talking about eighteen or $20,000 a year or less they're living on for a family of four, and yet they have to pay as much as 13000 a year for prison costs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's like a whole part-time job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, here's a dilemma because, okay, in Utah, so let's say in Utah they have, what is it, uh, Amendment 6, you said, Max? That it is in uh, Utah up on the upcoming ballot where they're uh, going to uh, Utah where they're going to Amendment C is Utah. Amendment, Amendment C is C. Utah. Nebraska's Amendment One. Utah's Amendment C. Okay. So let's say Utah passes Amendment C. Now there's no more exception clause in Utah. 
So so now it would say instead of saying uh, slavery and involuntary uh, servitude is hereby abolished, except this punishment for a crime, they'll take that out. And so now, and then you know someone incarcerated in Utah wants to bring you know some claim against the prison that he's in or against Securus, against JPay, any of the companies. It goes before the state Supreme Court of Utah. You know, he wins. The state appeals to the 10th Circuit. I believe Utah is in the 10th Circuit of the Federal District. Uh, 10th Circuit, and the 10th Circuit reverses because we have an exception clause to the 13th Amendment of the United States. So now they want to do something about it, and they're coming to their senator or their congressman, their congressman in the 1st District, and they say, well, Congressman Bowden, you know, we've exhausted our legal remedies, so what can you do about it? And your answer would be what, sir? Mm, that is a good question. The uh, the first thing I'd like to point out is the uh, the Tenth Amendment in that case, in the situation, because th- this one is uh, where state law would be rubbing up against federal. Now, of course, the federal, it says in the 13th that it you know, it's open for the possibility of using slavery as a punishment, but because of the state constitution being changed, I think that would fall under the 10th because the 13th Amendment doesn't say that you have to use, you know, by federal law, you have to use this um, as a form of punishment. And so under the 10th Amendment, since the federal government cannot force a state to use slavery as a punishment for a crime, you know, I, I think that would fall under that. You know, the 10th Amendment says that any power not granted to the federal government belongs to the states. One of the uh, powers that the states have is the ability to create their own constitutions. And so I think that would be fall under a state's rights issue. And I think that the states should win that if it actually went to the Supreme court. Um, that, that's how I would argue is this, you know, there, there's no power granted in the, in the constitution for the federal government to step in and force a state to enslave somebody. Mm, great answer. Great answer. <laughs> I, I like the way he's like going towards the Constitution. That's that's good. That's really good. You're not talking about what you think <laughs> or what you feel. You're like, right there in the Constitution, it says this. And that's how many of us should be thinking. The Constitution is really our friend in this issue. The only place where it's not our friend is because of this exception clause. All right, well, I want to read some stats real quick so uh, people can understand what it is we're dealing with. When we say where our families are being exploited, let me give you a few examples. Two and three families had difficulty in meeting basic needs as a result of their loved one's conviction and incarceration. Two in three. Nearly one in five survey participants' families were unable to afford housing due to the loss of income resulting from their loved one's incarceration. That's 20% of the people. 70% of those families were caring for children under 18 years old. So they had children right there along with them that had to suffer uh, because of the hardships being placed by some of uh, these fines, these fees, these costs that are going on within the prison industry. And the prison industry is surrounded by... uh, all these sucker fish <laughs> that are just sucking billions of dollars out of the inmates and their families. Another one that is a big problem is JPEG. Uh, I've got a clip of uh-huh. JPEG. 
that I'd like to play as well. And maybe we can get your comments on them. Are you familiar with J-Pay, uh, Josh? Um, I've, I've heard a little bit about them. I, I haven't uh, I haven't looked into the company itself. Um, I've heard they're pretty shady. Uh, when I was listening to that, where they you know used to do free calls, but then because of the corona pandemic, they took advantage of it and started charging people. That just that blew my mind. I couldn't. Ugh. Yeah, they, <laughs> so mad. They are, are terrible. They even got a credit card now. <laughs> Uh, they move more money than some major banks. Like I said, it, just uh, it, this year they were making forty million a quarter. <laughs> you know, so they're moving a lot of money. Uh, let's go ahead and listen to a clip of it, and then come back on the other side, and we'll discuss it more. And uh, once we get to uh, around the eight p.m. point, we're going to listen to our music break, and then open up our phone line. So six seven eight uh, or four three six three. I see you. We're going to get you in. Just hold on and and, uh, enjoy the show with us. We'll be right back after this clip. Welcome back. All right. I've talked about the prison industrial complex on this show before, but I know that some of you didn't watch the previous episodes because you were too busy leaving online hate speech comments for fictional television characters or whatever it is you do. You see, if I insult them, they want to watch even more. It's kind of a, it's kind of a plan hard to get thing. You know? Like right now, it's killing them that I'm not looking at them. You, know? you guys are cool, but they have like a dependency thing. Anyway, for those of you who missed the previous episodes, the prison industrial complex has grown massively because, over, because our ruling elite realized they like us, you and me, much better if we're in cages. They don't have to fight for cabs, and they don't have to sit next to us on the aeroplanes, but that created a problem for the titans of victory. How do they continue to make money from the millions of people they've locked up? Luckily, they found a way. Companies like JPay Inc. have popped up to skim off the top of any money sent to inmates from family members. Inmates need money for things like toothpaste, doctor's visits, uh, winter clothing, and it's the family members who get stuck with the tab. JPage charges up to 45% of whatever friends and family send to inmates and operates in 32 states. And the inmates are often poor because, let's face it, rich people see the inside of a jail cell about as often as they see the inside of a cracker barrel. <laughs> I mean, we even had to get an actor to pose for that photo because we couldn't find an image of a businessman behind bars. <laughs> the often poor inmates then have half that money, have half the money sent to them grabbed up by JPay. JPay CEO Ryan Shapiro said proudly, we invented this business. <laughs> let's, let's unpack that statement for a second. Before you, Ryan Shapiro, came along, family members of inmates just sent money to them, and that was that. Then you showed up and said, all that money is being sent to inmates. I bet I should have a lot of it. <laughs> and so you invented a business that took money from poor people locked in cages. Could you not find any children locked in cages to steal from? No? No? Was there not perhaps some money to be made in punching orphans in the face? Or, or shooting a cannon at koala bears? Could you, could you not make a buck by slapping cotton candy out of the hands of elderly nuns? Is, is there no profit in going around to birthday parties offering to paint children's faces, but then painting them to look like Marilyn Manson, forcing the children to be terrified of their own reflections? Answer me, Mr. J-Pay. When we were painting that kid's face, he was such a diva. He was such a diva. But here's the good news. Many prisoners 
may soon get out of this, uh, out from under the thumb of JPEG. California is looking to greatly decrease the sentences of a lot of inmates. Prop 47 will be up for a vote in November. It's called the Reduced Penalties for Some Crimes Initiative. And I'll admit, not a great name. Some crimes. Why didn't they just name it Reduced Penalties for, uh, you know, some crimes or whatnot. I'm just, I'm just saying some <laughs> went down. All right, a little <laughs> went down, but it, it's cool. Initiative. <laughs> Prop 47 would take a lot of non-serious, non-violent crimes and lower them from felonies to misdemeanors, unless the defendant has a history of rape and murder because that totes not cool. Totes not cool. <laughs> and 10,000 inmates currently in prison for things like small drug crimes could have their sentences greatly reduced. So go vote, California. Help your brethren and your sistren out. All right? Vote yes on Prop 47. The reduced penalties for some things and, you know, whatever's no biggie initiative. Max, you, yeah, you have to start. O- you have to start over, Max, because you forgot oh. to unmute yourself. <laughs> yeah, I, I got you guys. I forgot me, my bad. So you just heard uh, redacted tonight with Lee Camp. That was from 2014. Prop 47 has already passed. We use that clip because they ex- explain basically what happened with JPay and how it was created and who's behind it. Ryan Shapiro. Uh, We have a lot of information we've shared on our Abolition Today Facebook page surrounding JPEG, so make sure you check that out. Uh, Josh, what are your thoughts? Oh, oh man. So the more I hear about JPEG, the the more I just want to just throw the whole company in the trash. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that just blows my mind that it's even legal for a company to invent something like that. Just, well, let's just uh, invent a middleman system to take money from poor people so they can give money to their relatives in prison. And, and I realized that they actually are owned by a parent company. I looked them up called Securus Technologies. I, right. Uh, turns out that they're uh, an even bigger company and they, they own several similar companies like that. And so their, their, their whole spiel is to take money from poor people. And so they'll, yeah, they'll, they'll set up shop with different brand names and, you know, say one gets owned in court, then they just have another shell company to set up and they can just keep doing the same thing, basically. It's amazing you said that because that's exactly what they did in October of 2019 when they reorganized under mm-hmm. Aventive, Aventive Technologies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shady. Yeah, and I mean, I guess they're following the uh... – Corrections Corporation of America model where, you know, they rebranded themselves as Core Civic, you know, after the Department of Justice says, well, we're never going to, we're not going to contract with Corrections Corporation of America in private prisons anymore. And then they turned around and rebranded themselves and created a new contract. <laughs> yeah. You know, so those are the tricks that they always do. Let me read a little bit from uh, Prison Legal News regarding Securus, now that since you mentioned them. They, when they reorganized mm-hmm. under Aventive Technologies as the parent company of Securus Technologies, Incorporated, JPay, AllPay, also formerly known as GovPayNet, uh, and they have a, mm-hmm. a history of doing this, they said, we are transforming the company to every level, says CEO Robert Pickens, mindful of both our customers, keyword here, and our critics, 
we are working to ensure that our core communication services are more affordable, responsive, and attuned to the needs of our customers, including corrections agencies, incarcerated individuals, and their families and friends. At the same time, we are developing innovative technology products and services that will better serve customers and consumers and have a broader application beyond the corrections marketplace. The corrections marketplace. Customers. Prisoners are your customers. Uh, Uh It's it's sickening, man. So, So what amendment do we turn to on this one? The Eighth Amendment again? Yeah, I would say the Eighth Amendment falls under that one. Treating people uh, as nothing more than a sheet of paper with some numbers on it sounds like cruel and unusual to me. 45 percent, <laughs> as much as 45 percent they take out of that. Uh, they have credit cards and everything, and even those credit cards that can now be used in places outside of the prisons. That's how big they've grown with it. Jeez. Yeah, I, yeah uh, my, I, mean... I have a really nasty – oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> No, go ahead. I didn't mean to step you. Oh, I was just going to say, I have a really nasty interest rate because my credit's not very good, and like it's not even close to 45%. <laughs> Man. Unbelievable. You know, it's so also, also with JPay, you know, and it's the other portion, not just dealing with the telephone calls, but they deal with the stamps as well. You know, for the many prisons have kiosks where you know, those in prison can send emails to their families and the families can email them and the families have to purchase, uh, you know, packets. I think you can get uh, eight stamps for $2 or uh, 20 stamps for $8. It's some fees of that nature, but they add up. They want to send a picture along with the, uh, if if they want to send a picture along with the, uh, with the email, that's an additional stamp. So if they're sending five pictures, then that's going to cost six stamps. And if the letter is a certain length, there's an additional stamp to that. So they have all kinds of like upselling going on within the email of things that happen. So that's a that's that's another way that they get them. Then there's the, some prisons allow uh, the purchase of uh, like uh, MP3 players that are also sold through JPay. So a lot of prisons, any the things that those in prison are allowed to have, they have to be bought from only specific companies. And these, so this is another way where the companies can they have no competition when it comes to price. So now they can say, okay, if I want to charge two hundred and fifty dollars for this little MP3 player, it's either they buy it or they don't. That's the only choices they have. They can't say, well, I can go get it from Amazon or something like that. No, you can only get it from this one company, and it's whatever that company is charging for it. And that's, a, that's you know, many ways that they found to exploit the system. It goes with clothing. It goes with shoes, you know, like sneakers, anything. Many of these companies, whether it's JPay, East Bay, there are a whole bunch of companies out there that are exploiting the families like this because most of the times it's the families that's paying for this because we know that those imprisoned are only making sense on the dollar. Josh, go ahead and chime in on that. Yeah, you know, I I think this also goes into the Fourth Amendment if if we think about it, improper search and seizure. 
because um, they they are literally it, it, it's blowing my mind how much money they're they're basically stealing from people. You know, it's when we find out how many people are wrongfully convicted, people who are being forced to pay these fees and fines when people aren't even convicted in the first place yet. You know, to me, that just like when somebody's not even convicted of a crime and they're already having to pay fines and fees and their family members are also paying fines and fees just to communicate that, that to me, that sounds like improper seizure of funds. You know, that's just it blows my mind that any of this is legal. And, yeah, I can't I can't wrap yes. my mind around how anybody could treat another human being like that. Man, the Web is so thick and so Deep and so old uh, What we're dealing with right now Actually started Before 1865 But as you know After 1865 Once the exception clause was put into place During Reconstruction They immediately went into convict leasing So they criminalized the black people Who were formerly enslaved uh, Through the black codes and pig laws And vagrancy laws And then they would Send them out to these mines and railroad tracks And sometimes the plantations Where they were just slaves at And have them work as slaves again But the difference there And it's why many historians say It was worse than slavery Is because during the period of chattel slavery This person who seemed to think he owned you But really only beat you into submission uh, They had an investment in you staying alive And being healthy And being able to work and produce children in the prisons, they would work you to death, and when you died, they get another one. They didn't care if you lived or died. So they were finding mm-hmm. mass graves all over the country uh, because of that. We just found one out in Texas, in Sugarland, Texas. There's one in New York. Uh, there's another one in Missouri, and we're just finding them everywhere. Behind every old prison, you'll find mass graves. <laughs> Josh. Right. Well, and it, you know, I'm glad you brought up New York because I actually just saw a debate recently between some, uh, some you know, white liberals on Twitter, and they were arguing over whether or not the North was really racist back back then, and it's like, well, of course they were. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, for 19 weeks, weeks we listened to Frederick Douglass's uh, narrative, and uh, he explained that was his biggest problem in the North. Not only were they racist, but even the abolitionists themselves were racist towards him, introducing him as, yes, it can speak, or here is the slave with opinions. That's how the white abolitionists would introduce him. And that's why he eventually broke away from William Lloyd Garrison's ideologies and, uh, and what he was trying to do with the Constitution. You know, Lloyd Garrison believe that the Constitution was covenant with the devil and that uh, we should just burn it up, whereas uh, Frederick thought that we could use political structures in order to gain freedom. Passing it back so, to you, Josh, or oh, Yusuf, okay. whoever, either. Well, Go ahead, Josh, Yusuf. did you ha- have anything you wanted to say to that? Okay, so I'd like to switch a little bit and if we could uh, talk about the food. That is served to those incarcerated. You know, one thing, yeah, the food, you know, is primarily, uh, that contract is primarily performed by Aramark. Aramark is an Indiana-based food vendor that uh, I believe a few years ago it even made the Forbes list as the 27th largest employer in the United States. And they have 
contracts ranging, you know, they do they do prisons, they do sports franchises, they do hospitals. Aramark is all over the place, colleges, universities, and their biggest money maker is the prison system because here's their trick. You know, in the prisons, the bid goes to whoever can feed for the lowest amount. That's the that's the, its profit base. So they say, okay, the least amount of money that it costs to feed per day or per meal, that's who's going to get the contract. And what Aramark has been doing, as many lawsuits against them has shown, they've been giving, they've been serving the prisons food that they couldn't serve on the outside. They couldn't send it to any of the food, any of the sports franchises, universities, hospitals. This is we're talking the food that's past its expiration date, or food. There's there've even been reports of boxes being labeled not fit for human consumption that they're still serving in the prisons. And you can see the pictures over and over again, just searching social media, where those on the inside are sending pictures of the food that they're being served. So they make about. $14 $14 billion a year off of the prison industry. And there, I'm sorry, 2015, there was a report from the Detroit Free Press reported Aramark is serving rat and maggot infested foods in Michigan prisons. And as a result, the exposure in Michigan's prisons terminated the Aramark contract. If you look at Indiana prisons, They've been notorious serving foul food. And we can go through state after state after state as to what they're serving. And their meals fall below the daily minimum of 2,500 calories. So not only are they giving poor quality food, but it's not even enough. It doesn't even meet the standards of a meal. So they're starving them to death. And there are many cases of people incarcerated actually starving to death to death so and the reason i brought up aramark is because as a means of getting around this then those incarcerated turn to their families and say hey i need money for commissary i need money for commissary because i'm going to die of starvation based on this food that they give me so the family send in money and of course they have one company, one main company they deal with, and that's Kefi. And Kefi charges outrageous prices for some of the most basic food items. I mean, I'm talking, you know, the a little squeeze up of jelly could cost three dollars. You know, a regular twelve ounce twelve ounce can of Coke could cost three dollars. You know, things so. This is a way that they're exploiting the families, one, by feeding the rancid food, forcing the people to live off of commissary. And like I said, the commissary is just outrageous with their prices. So I'll pass it to Max or to Josh, whoever wants to follow up on that. Yeah, Josh, if you'd like to follow up on that, fantastic. And yeah. I also want to give you a few minutes once you're done with that to say whatever you want to say, um, as a matter of fact. Uh, so follow up on that and then uh, when you're done, let me know and uh, I want to 
make an announcement and give you an opportunity to say anything you want to say. Alrighty. Um, well, not fit for human consumption. If that doesn't say it all right there, you know, how they feel about people who are in the prison system, even the non-convicted, because we're all eating the same food. If you're in the system, mm-hmm. you're eating the same food, whether you're convicted or not. And just that view of society that they have of people, you know, we make one mistake or even just wrongfully get convicted of something and, oh, you're not even human anymore. <laughs> you know, that that's, it speaks so many volumes and, you know, it turns me back to that eighth amendment. You know, that is so, that's cruelty beyond measure to feed people spoiled, rancid garbage food. And I actually do have a little bit of experience with that. I know what that food is like. Um, I was arrested in 2011, arrested and convicted of possession of marijuana, and I wasn't originally convicted to go to jail. Uh, they suspended the jail sentence, and I got community service. I lost one piece of paper, um, and so the judge said, all right, well, instead of doing the 48 hours over again, we'll just have you serve that in jail so you get a taste of what that's like. And, man, that food, I, I can't even uh, – even calling it food troubles me. You know, the it's absolutely the most disgusting stuff I've ever smelled or tasted in my life. And the fact that they're feeding that to people is just unconscionable. I couldn't believe it. Like, cause I've heard stories before, but when, when I actually put some of that food in my mouth, I, I immediately gagged. And I, for the rest of the 48 hours I was in there, I didn't eat a single bite of food. I couldn't do it. Man. So, yeah, that's a... I'm ready to pass a little on now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I was just reading about the prisoners in Rikers Island uh, sued for $315,000 because they were made sick by that food. So, yeah, I, I, I see all of that. Hey, I, I, I want to uh, remind people that right now we're on the air here with Yusuf Hassan, Max Parthas. We've got Josh Bowden on the line. He's running for Congress in District 1 in Utah, and he is a slavery abolitionist, you know, uh, one of the cool things about when you're doing interviews or discussions with other slavery abolitionists, you don't have to go keep retelling the whole story. We we talk like we already know most of the stuff, you know what I mean? <laughs> and you can mm-hmm. build from there. So it's good to be in that type of company, I'm sure, right? Um, oh, yeah. Do you have a website people can go to if they want to check you out? I know you do. I've already been on it. But could you give a, tell us what that is again? Yeah, it's uh, Josh Bowden for Congress dot com and the four is the number so josh bowden for congress.com josh bowden for the number congress.com uh sorry about screwing up your name there all all night (laughs) my bad oh no it's okay it can go either way it's like tomato tomato (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what your evening looks like tonight but i would hope if you have some free time to just enjoy the rest of the program with us i'm going to give you a moment to say whatever it is you want to say uh, to our audience And then we're going to go into our music break Which is super powerful And I got to give a um, I got to give a warning about before I even play it uh, And then we'll continue with the show So Josh, the mic is yours Sorry, what was that? The mic is yours Tell our audience anything you want to tell them Take a couple minutes to do so And then we'll go into our music break Gotcha, well if anybody is listening from Utah um, like we were talking about earlier, Amendment C is on the ballot. If you're in Nebraska, it was Nebraska, right, with Amendment 1? Yes. 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 Yeah, so, uh, yeah, keep your eye out on your ballots for that. If you are in Utah or Nebraska, let's get 
slavery ended state by state if we, you know, if that's the way we have to do it for right now, let's get it done. You know, a constitutional amendment is a very difficult thing to do, whether it's by, you know, a state convention. You know, the state constitutional convention has never been done. The the other 27 amendments have all been done through Congress, and even that is extremely difficult. But we can do this. This is not an impossible dream. This is something that everybody should believe in. This is a nonpartisan issue. We should all be talking about getting slavery completely out of our constitution. We need to end it once and for all. See, my man Josh bowed it. <laughs> slavery <laughs> abolitionist. Utah District 1. You heard it. Uh, hang out with us, brother. Like I said, we're going to listen to some track now from uh, – it's going to start out with uh, Valerie Castile, uh, Philando Castile's mother, on the day uh, that the court verdict came in that uh, Geronimo was not guilty for murdering her son. Uh, she had a few things to say, and that will be followed up by Tribal Rain doing Morning Mothers. And there is a video available for this. Uh, in the video, Tribal Rain is at where she originally did the poem, God's Little Acre in Newport, Rhode Island, which is the oldest uh, free and enslaved African-American cemetery in the United States. And the visuals of that is just super powerful. So we're just going to go ahead and go into that. We'll be right back after this music break. Soon as I can find it. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh, you said I'm oh, seeing it's all the way at the bottom. It's, it's, no, it's oh, all okay. the way at the bottom. I have it. Go ahead and click play, brother. <laughs> we'll be right back. Yes, sir. Abolition. Abolition. Hey, Facebook and everybody around the world. I'm sure y'all seen this bullshit that happened today. Fuck what they talking about. Yeah, I'm going live now. I've been holding myself, trying to be strong and not say the wrong things because I already know how they get down. I'm 61 years old. I've seen it. I've smelled it. I've heard it. Now you see exactly what these motherfuckers think about us. They murdered my motherfucking son with his seatbelt on. So what does that say to you? Now they got free reign to keep killing us any kind of way they want to. So I just want to say one thing to everybody out there. I don't give a fuck what you do. Do what your heart desires because that shit wasn't right. And I'm here to say that and fuck the police. Say whatever the fuck you want to say. Now, this is the real Valerie Castile. I don't give no fuck no more. This shit is crazy. You're going to kill a man in front of a child and a woman. Who going to bring some children to a motherfucking gunfight? Come the fuck on, please. I don't know where they got them motherfucking jewelers from, but that was some straight-up bullshit. And they going to keep on killing us as long as we sit out and just take it. Oh, yeah, he was in fear for his life. Bull motherfucking shit. You shouldn't be no police officer if you're going to handle yourself in that manner. Do what you do. Because this shit going to keep on happening. And it's going to be you one day in this fucked up mother's club with their children murdered by the motherfucking police. I don't get no fuck. Man, y'all just don't know how I'm supposed to feel right now. If I had it my way, 
It's on and cracking. Fuck that shit. I'm sick of this shit. Y'all been killing motherfuckers all these all these years. But here in Minnesota, this crack Alabama ass motherfucking state. Fuck these motherfuckers. This is Tribal Rain performing Morning Mothers. The city is full of morning mothers. Just as in ancient days, wailing with lungs too dry to draw breath. Empty womb misfits, children torn from their bodies and cast aside like disregarded refuse. Misused, unloved, and forgotten. The city is full of mourning mothers. They wander around lost in a daze, unfazed by the life that continues to move on without them. They hear the long gone laughter and reach for the outstretched hands that no longer dwell in the land of the living. They shuffle along haunted by the memories of their lost loved ones, gone too soon. Empty shells of their former selves, they've been placed on shelves in the basements of lost remembrances and labeled damaged goods. Beaten down by the hood and the slave catchers who run it. Told we may never find out who done it. But we all know who pulled the trigger, who fired the gun, who sold them the drugs, who shot it, run, nigga, run who shot them in the backs of squad cars in dark alleys as they were lying face down, hands cuffed behind their backs. Come on, people. We've all been appraised of the so-called facts. We all know who shot them dead. It was the same motherfuckers we hired to protect and serve. They were killed by the Brotherhood. Men wearing white hoods masked by silver badges. Marked to death simply because of the color of their skin. And because of those badges, we'll get fucked once again. And justice will not be served. The city is full of mourning mothers. They know these mean streets will kill heartbeats and fill up graveyards and prison buildings. See, this melanin life right here is hard and unyielding. Death stalks your child's mind from the moment they draw breath, so ain't no rest for the weary and downtrodden. The city's mothers are constantly on the run. Running from street corner to hospital building. From hospital building to courthouse. From courthouse to prison building. From prison building to funeral home. And don't even mention hope to me because all our hope is gone. Our hope's drained out in the gutter along with the lifeblood of our husbands and sons while everyone stood by and became silent witness to murder most clouds. And you wonder why we howl out in misery and abject rage? The city is full of mourning mothers. Each and every one of them the same. Empty arm, broken hearted silhouettes of their former selves. Knees bowed, arms and treating hands kneading on empty wounds. Needing to hold on to their lost loved ones who are gone but not forgotten. Oh yes, the city is full of mourning mothers. Mothers hunted forever by the furthest sound of freedom, non-existent, ringing, peace. Abolition. Abolition. Today. 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 That was Valerie Castile and Tribal Rain, Morning Mothers. The music is 
uh, Cold by George Mendez. Uh, for those that don't know, Tribal Rain is my wife of 35 years. I remember one day after speaking with six different mothers who had lost their children to police killings, I said, Tribal, could you please put this into words somehow? Because I, I can't. It's not even possible. And that was the result of it. She wrote that poem. Yusuf requested it specifically for tonight. And also, I want to give a disclaimer. Uh, we are, again, once again, PG-13. This is an educational program. We cannot be censoring what people said when they're speaking in these cases. Just, just saying. If the words offend you more than the circumstances, you're probably listening to the wrong show to begin with. Yusuf? Mm-hmm. I second that, Max. You know, that, uh, both of them, and I, I felt uh, Miss Castile's pain, and it's the pain that I see when I read posts and all of the groups of the incarcerated. You know, you can, you can see the pain in the words. I can only imagine the pain that's within their hearts. You know, and tribal, you know, of course I love tribal, you know, uh, she put she put the right words to it. Morning mothers, morning families. We have it everywhere, and we're probably going to hear from some this evening of what they're going through, you know, on a daily basis while their loved ones are locked away in prison. You know, in uh, fact, uh, I see we have at least one hand up. Yeah, the line's already you open. Know, Actually, everybody's line is open right now, Yusuf. So it's only four of us on the line. So, uh, 4363, you're here with us as well. Welcome to Abolition Today. 4363, your line is open. You might have to unmute Did yourself. Walk away? Every code uh, 678, you're on the line. All right. In the meantime, Josh, uh, any comments from yeah. you? Oh man, I uh, I'm a little choked up. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I, every time that story comes up, it, I, you know, Falano Castile, he uh, a law-abiding citizen, following orders. You know, it's like what 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 can you do? It seems like we can't. Exist under a, a police state at all? There's no peace. It's not possible. Yeah, not the way it is now. And our police forces come from originally from slave catchers, and not much has changed. They're still working to uh, chase down for profit for for profit industries. So they're filling these prisons because it's economic development programs, and the people are being criminalized. They're not criminals; they're being criminalized. So that these economic development programs called prisons can exist all across America, where in some places like Colorado, it's the number one source of revenue for entire counties. Here in South Carolina, it's our top industry. Same thing out in Arizona, which is a hub for human trafficking in prisons. They have 48 prisons. They got double what we got in South Carolina, and we were a slave state. They make us look bad. Uh, feel free to chime in on this. Uh, it's like I said, all four of us lines are open, including 4363. 
just in case you didn't know? Oh, man. It, yeah, so, I would it, really it like to hear mind. from the person. Uh, oh, all right. Well, you were saying, Josh, go ahead and say that, and then we'll see if we can get that other person in. Oh, yeah, no, I, just, I was just saying that it, uh, it blows my mind that there can be that many prisons in one state. That is, it is unconscionable. There, there's countries that are out there that are closing prisons, like Switzerland, Norway, Finland. They're, they're doing so well that they're having to close already existing prisons and repurpose the materials. And here we are, one state has 48 prisons. It's, and it's incredible. One more again, 4363. You, your line is open. You're on abolition today. Uh, if you need to unmute yourself, we see your hand up, and we got you opened up. So anytime you're ready to chime in, uh, just let us know you're there, all right? So 48 prisons in Arizona, that's right, and all of those satellite industries that we described, like JPay and uh, Telecom Link, they, they, they're all part of that industry there. The reason they have so many prisons in Arizona, which doesn't even have that much of a population to justify it, is because it's a human trafficking hub for private for-profit prisons. Uh, They have one prison over there called Eloy. It's called Eloy because it's in the town of Eloy. And uh, it originally was built only to house Hawaiians. (laughs) So you, you, you do a crime in Hawaii, and they send you all the way over to Arizona where your family can't visit you without spending thousands of dollars. Uh, the subject to have to pay through the video conferencing in order to communicate with you or the expensive ways that they do that. And uh, they got away with doing it. <laughs> A prison built just for Hawaiians who were thousands of miles away. Wow. Well, that, that could be a bill right there, you know, uh, outlying shipping prisoners out of state. It's already illegal under human trafficking laws, but because of agreements yeah. made between the prisons, as Yusuf explained, I think it was last week, uh, the, the agreement mm-hmm. that the prisons have made, they're allowed to do that with prisoners inside the prisons because the prisoners are property. Remember the clause. <laughs> so yeah, they're right. not transporting people, they're transporting property. That's so frustrating. So you have a yeah, you have a serious uphill battle, you know, once you make it into Congress with all the other stuff that's going on in Congress, you know, to start intribu- introducing bills of this nature. You can imagine the pushback. In fact, I don't think we've we questioned you about that earlier. What what type of pushback have you gotten? Oh, man. So, so, so far, uh, it's all been online. But uh, yeah, I've j- just by speaking out against you know, want, you know Joe Biden and Kamala Harris want to give more funding to police, you know, and I, I agree 100% on getting Trump out of office. But we you know we have to hold, you know, a- every public official's feet to the fire regardless. And you know, my inbox and my comments get full just about every day of people, you know, just bashing, you know, how how can you? Be, be divisive at a time like this and it's you know to me being divisive is trying to give more money to the systems that are causing these issues in the first place the ones that are taking advantage of this situation uh, you know and i've also had some family members caution me you know you're in utah you know if you come out too hard against the police if you come out too hard against the carceral system 
you know, a lot of people in Utah aren't going to like that. A lot of people are going to try to silence you or going to try to shut you up, you know, and I, I, I don't know how seriously to take it. I did get a little death threat in the, in, in my Twitter inbox. It was just some random account. I reported it. I haven't heard any follow-up on it, but it was unrelated conversation to any, anything regarding abolition. But, you know, I, I can imagine that as the platform gets bigger, it's just going to get worse from here on. And, you know, to me, it, anybody who tries to intimidate me in that manner, it, it just makes me angry. You know, it makes me want to fight harder, makes me want to get more people involved, you know, be even louder, make a lot more noise, you know, because if someone tries to silence me or whatever, it's going to be a little bit too late, you know. I've already made a lot of noise. I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> I have uh, stumped for a couple of congressmen along the way who also ran on abolitionist platforms, and they're experiences uh, were somewhat similar. You know, they would go to events where they would speak of what was going on, modern-day slavery and the exception clauses, and people would uh, really react positively. Um, They'd have, you know, people would applaud them and so on. But the money that they were up against on the other side, these were either Green Party or uh, Justice Democrats that were running. So, they were running on shoestring budgets, and the money that they were up against was really what was causing the biggest problems for them. They just simply got outspent. Do you see that as a problem for you at this point as well? I do, you know, and that's going to be probably the biggest challenge is how are we, you know, how is my campaign going to go up against corporate money? And so I, I am involved with a movement to build the People's Party. We want to create a third major party with absolutely no corporate influence whatsoever. Uh, it's a movement for a People's Party. And, you know, so there's going to be support there, hopefully. You know, if uh, if I do get the full endorsement from the party once everything is fully formed, you know, hopefully through grassroots campaigning and stuff like that, we'll be able to raise enough money but, you know, as I keep seeing it over and over again, it's basically like a miracle status situation to outraise the funds that the corporations can bring. So, you know, yep. the biggest, biggest tool in the shed with that is going to be people power. You know, volunteers, you know, people who really believe in the cause need to get involved. You know, we need hands on deck. And th- this isn't something that we are going to be making money off of. This isn't something to get rich off of. This is something to get spiritually wealthy off of. You know, this is something that we can be at peace with ourselves, you know, and that's worth more than money. So, you know, that that's going to be what I'm campaigning on is, you know, people power. Let's feel good about something, you know. <laughs> well, that's there's some good news right. in that as well is, you know, from the others that I was uh, working with, a lot of changes have occurred since then. A lot more people are more aware of the 13th Amendment exception clause. They've even run for office on up to including president now. Uh, so the environment is more receptive to the message. But they're still going to try to outspend you, especially if the place where you're at is dependent on prison money, or whether that be through the prisons themselves or the satellite companies that make their livings off prisoners and prisoners' families. So I, I think it's possible for you to beat them no matter how much money they spend if you got enough people together to get that message out there properly, you know? Oh, yeah. All, All right. about organization and people power. <laughs> All People power. Hey, 4363, like this is the 15th time now. We got you online at Abolition today. Uh, yeah. Remember? It, oh, there you go. Four, six, oh, four, there three, she three. is. 
<laughs> I'm sorry, I, I didn't um, realize I was on online, and I was just wanted to comment about the food portion. I'm here in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, and I work in the school system, and I just see the amount of food that they throw away, you know, like whole oranges, whole cartons of milk, just food on top of food, and then I hear about how these prisoners have to like get full food. It is just it just breaks my heart. And then I not- think about like last December I went on a cruise and the amount of food they threw away, it was ridiculous. Mm. They they barbecued a whole pig and people may ate like two or three slices off of it. And the rest of it was trash. And it's just sad how they just don't feed grown men enough food to sustain us. This is horrible. It's just heartbreaking. And I'm sorry, yeah. I was just trying to listen to you earlier because it just breaks my heart. Thank you. That's understandable. And sharing that feeling with us, we understand. You know, it wasn't just bad food. They literally have rat poison in their food. They were trying to kill oh. these men. Uh, mm-hmm. There was oh, rat poison God. in their food. Um, and in places like Alabama, you know, the sheriffs, what they do out there, is they get a budget to feed the people in the jail. And one sheriff in particular had gotten a budget of about three quarters of a million dollars. And he was spending it on lavish houses, uh, beach houses, cars, all on himself. And feeding the prisoners like a slice of cheese, a piece of bread, boiled egg, and a glass of water. And that's what he was feeding. While he was taking the food money and keeping it, and he's legally allowed to do that. Because they said as long as you, oh uh, whatever excess after you fed the prisoners can go into whatever the sheriff wants to go into. And apparently mm-hmm. that was himself. Wow. That's still happening mm-hmm. right now. It's still happening yeah. right now. And then in That's turn, it forces those incarcerated to reach out to their families and say, you know, mm-hmm. my dad, you know, husband, wife, can you send me $50? Can you send me $100? And then out of that money, they even dig into that money, taking it for other kinds of fines and fees. They've had all kinds of ways of how to get that money. And so they turn around and say, well, you sent me 100 but all I got was $45 out of that. And once I bought, you know, just some basic necessities, I had no money left for food. You know, can you send me some more money? You know, and every time they send you an email, they're paying for it. Every time... You know, many people are paying for visitations and everything now. So uh, I'd like to hear some of your experiences if you have uh, a family member that's incarcerated, like some of the things, especially when it comes to the money that you've had to deal with. Well, my daughter was um, picked up for, for, you know, she got caught driving without a driver's license, and, and she was, like, mm-hmm. incarcerated for, like, three days, literally for three days, I, I think I spent like about $150 just for trying to get phone calls and um, get her money wow. on the books because, you know, she had her cycle, her came on, so she's like, no, I need this, I need that, and it was the weekend, I couldn't get her out quick enough, but it was horrible, and then um, her bill was like $3,200, well, no, thirty. it was $32,000, and that takes 3% on that, and that was $3,200. 30, 
give away mm. money because you have to like pay the bail bonds and then you're never going to see that again. So right. It, it, right. It's, it's crazy how they how they just gouge and just take and take and take and nobody can stop it and nobody can go against the system. It's just like it's just built against us. Well, that's and slavery like said, and human trafficking. For centuries. Right. Yeah. It's been ha- for centuries, there was one right. kid here in Atlanta. Uh, he was a teenager, and I, I, when I believe his parents too believed that they harvested organs. So right. When they found him, he was like a healthy um, basketball player or something, and his, his kidneys and livers and stuff. He, they found him when deceased, and, and, and a lot of his organs were gone. So yeah, I, I read that story know. about the school. Yeah, it, it's a wicked, <laughs> it's a wicked world. It certainly is a a wicked, wicked world that we live in, and we're dealing with real slavery and real human trafficking. Mm-hmm. It's just been dressed up and modernized. That's all. And it went from yeah. the individual being able to own a person to the state being mm-hmm. able to own the people now. But they've even gone back. Mm-hmm. So now an individual can own people. If you own prison stock, right. like Harvard does. You own people because you're you're investing in prisons and the fact that they'll be full all the time. And then those prisons make contracts with the state that guarantee they'll be filled from 80 to 100 percent occupancy for up to 25 years. Mm -hmm. And these are standard contracts. How do you guarantee a prison to be filled for 25 years? It means you're not looking for Mm -hmm. criminals. You're looking for people to put in those Sell because you got to make that money, right? And, and they sell their stocks yeah. on the open market all over the globe. And this is a model that's been adopted worldwide, right? And and then they have like quotas. Like my one of my um my best friend, she was and her husband was a cop, and he said he actually had a quota. They were down in Miami of how many people he had to have locked up, and he didn't care what they did. You know, she said he was crooked anyway. She wanted to force them. But he said he actually had like he had to have like at least eight people by the end of the month locked up. She said right. that's how big of a wow. business it is. On a number eight of occasions we've talked about that. Mm. We we've yeah. talked about that and, and I was played like, some clips. Cause I was, yeah, and I was like I'm like I was like, is he talking about tickets? And she said, No, not tickets. <laughs> nope. I'm talking about actually incarcerating them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Wow. And I said, He was a black man? She's like, Yeah. He said they about the worst ones, and <clears throat> she thought she got married two of them, two cops, and she said they were the same way. So it was just all about the money to them. After a while, it became all about the money, all about making your quota, all about meeting your standards. And I said that you know, is if I can, scary uh... when people just leave, just just lose um, human morals just for their own self greed. It's it's it's, it's just. Terrible. You want to challenge yeah. Josh? Yeah, um, about the quotas and stuff. The uh, there are several states that they they've explicitly outlawed quotas, but you know I, I've actually talked to a few cops because um, Utah is one of those states where they've explicitly outlawed quotas for cops, but they will uh, actually end up getting desk duty or miss out on bonuses if they don't have high arrest numbers and stuff so it's not an official quota but the yeah the leadership will still end up you know putting on desk duty or they'll prevent you from getting quotas they'll give you horrible shifts 
you know, if, if you're not keeping your arrests up. So, you know, even without the official quota in place, there's always that incentive. There's always a pressure to keep arresting people no matter what. Mm-hmm. We see that reflected in the immigration system as well. When Congress mandated a minimum number of immigrants be in those facilities at all times, mandated by Congress. Mm. So that tells you right there it's about bodies because these are systems that need to stay in place. Prisons are what they call too big to fail. They're such a big part of our society. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, so many communities completely dependent on the money being generated through these prisons. Uh, Ferguson would be a great example when the attorney general came in and showed what was happening there, where they even had the city council emailing the chief of police saying, could you increase the number of fines and tickets that you're writing? Because we've only got... Uh, I think they said $2 million coming in this year, and they did it, and then the money came in to be like $5 million. And then they also found out that the nearby county or the nearby city, which is called, I think it's Country Club or something like that, you said, am I right? Country Club? was yes, The nearby Country, city, Country Club. Club had 3,000 people living in it and over 30,000 arrest warrants. <laughs> like how the hell can you have that many arrest warrants? So this is what it was making their money wow. up, you know. So mm-hmm. it's the revenue that generates a lot of what's going on in the United States today. There, one of the articles we put out on our page on Abolition Today on Facebook shows that as much as 1.2 trillion dollars is generated through the prison industry annually in the United States, if you include the money that is being extorted. From the families Wow yeah. And part of the reason or The reason this exists Is because of the exception clause To the 13th amendment And when the Families give the pushback It's usually Just only talking about a symptom You know they may talk about The food or the visits or the Commissary the root cause is the 13th Amendment, and this is what the courts say. I've seen many lawsuits be brought to the various federal courts, the U.S. Supreme Court, and it could be very valid uh, points of argument, but the court will say, because of the exception clause to the, uh, to the 13th Amendment, then this is not violating the person's rights. And so... When we see that, then we say, okay, our goal should be to attack that 13th Amendment, get it repealed and replaced. And so that's our mission here at Abolition Today. That's Josh's mission, one of the reasons he's running for Congress. And the various organizations out there, like the Abolish Slavery National Network, where this is we recognize it as a problem we recognize it as the root cause to so many different other causes, and we're looking for people to come along and join us in this mission because we know what would happen once that exception clause is removed. What he said. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's where I'm at, what he said, man. Uh, once again, you're listening to Abolition Today. Uh, we're here with Yusuf Hassan, Max Parthas, and our guest co-host today, uh, Josh Bowden, 
And we got a guest caller in from Atlanta. We never caught your name. Um, what is it? Oh, I'm sorry, Stephanie. Stephanie calling in from Atlanta. And we're just conversating about the cost oh. of this all to families. Uh, so we're mm-hmm. uh, appreciative to the listeners, too. We're tuning in and hearing what we're saying today. This is a horrible circumstance we find ourselves in, and we've got to do something about it. Like I said, what he said. Mm-hmm. Um Yusuf, was there anything else you wanted to uh, uh, cover before we get into the next segment? I don't know if we have the time to do that clip of the lady lifers. Um, hold on, hold on, let me see. It's nine minutes. If we finish it at 8.45, we can... That right. would take us to 8.41. We, we, we can do it. Let's do it. I think it's going to be tight. But this is a really good song, and we wanted people to hear it. We just didn't know if we had time. Uh, So you guys hang on with us. We're going to play Lady Lifers. It's a moving song from Women in Prison for Life. And uh, they just asked to get their their message out, what they have to say, and get it out. So we're going to go ahead and play that. And the more I talk, the less time we have. So here it goes. Life in Pennsylvania means just that. Life without the possibility of parole. For us lifers, as we call ourselves, our only chance for release is through commutation, which has only been granted to two women since 1989, close to 30 years ago. Our song, This Is Not Our Home, It tells of our experiences while doing life without the possibility of parole.
29 years. My name is Brenda Watkins. I was born and raised in Hoffman, North Carolina. This is not my home. Inmate number OB2472. I've been incarcerated for 27 years. My name is Thelma Nichols. I was born and raised in Philadelphia, PA. This is not my home. I've been incarcerated for 27 years. My name is Danielle Hadley. I was born and raised in Philadelphia, PA, and this is not my home. Inmate, inmate 008309. I've been incarcerated for 27 years. My name is Teresa Battles. I'm from North New Jersey. And this is not my home. I am known as inmate 007080. I've been incarcerated for 30 years. My name is Deborah Brown. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This is not my home. I've been incarcerated for 37 years. My name is Joanne Butler, and I was born and raised in Philadelphia. This is not my home. Number 005634. I've been incarcerated for 39 and one half years. My name is Diane Hamill Metzger. I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and this is not my home. I am 004867, incarcerated 40 years. My name is Lena Brown, and I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and this is not my home. Number zero zero five five forty five. My name is Trina Garnett. I've been incarcerated for thirty seven years since I was fourteen years old. Born and raised in Chester, Pennsylvania, and this is not my home. Lifers, women in prison for life. Man, wow. Will I see my family or die alone? All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are coming up on the final segment of our program. We want to say thank you 
uh, to Josh, our guest co-host for this evening. Thanks, Josh. We appreciate you, brother. I appreciate you guys yeah, for having me. Thank you. Yeah, man. Uh, please support him in his endeavors for Congress, District 1, Utah, uh, Josh Bowden for Congress.com. That's the number four. Make sure you visit and show your support. I'm looking forward to seeing a picture of you together with Representative uh, Ross out there. Sandra Hollins. <laughs> Sandra Hollins out there. I'm sorry. Sandra Hollins out there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing a picture of y'all two together. Like abolitionist power. <laughs> oh, yeah. That. I hope so. I hope that happens soon. <laughs> I, I want to thank our guest who called in, Stephanie out of Atlanta. We appreciate you calling in and sharing your experience with us as well. Thank you, Steph. Thanks. All right, no doubt. Um, Yusuf, as you know, brother, this is my last program for the next uh, three weeks. I am going to be working what? on some, yeah, <laughs> next three weeks. I'm going to be working on some projects that require my immediate attention because they're time sensitive, and as I have to step away for a minute as executive producer for this program. But we're not going to go off air. Brother Yusuf has got some ideas. He's going wants to put together a kind of a caller-based program. So if you're listening now, in the next three weeks, start calling in and telling us what you learned and what you know and, you know, share your thoughts with us. So I'll be gone for a few weeks getting some things done. Uh, And uh, when I come back, we are going to just go into overdrive because we'll be right around the corner from Election Day. You know what I mean? I think maybe we should bring Brother Mark Charles back. What do you think, Yusuf? Oh, absolutely. We absolutely have to bring him back in. Bring him Presidential back. candidate push. running on an abolitionist platform. That's right. right. Give him a little push. No doubt, man. So I just want to say thank you to everybody. And uh, thank you for our listeners uh, tuning in tonight and those that will tune in later. This is an educational program. When you walk away from here, you walk away with something you didn't have when you came. We try to make sure that that happens every time and you get a better understanding of what it is that you're dealing with. I'm not going to give too much of a walk away from tonight's program. You heard it with your own ears. It's about family matters. Uh, the lady lifers probably said it best. All right, Yusuf. Uh, that's it for me, man. I'm hanging out with you and listening to this bridging the gap, which is hot. We're going to take it out. Uh, just like my brothers over at it, uh, live from the plantation brought it in uh, Thursday. And you'll that's see right. what I mean. All right. Peace, everybody. Peace, peace. So this week's Bridging the Gap segment is The Trial of John Brown from the National Museum of American History, followed by Shirley Caesar. That's Reverend Dr. Shirley Caesar. Satan, we're going to tear your kingdom down. Reminds me of my childhood hearing those songs. Uh, I'll be back, inshallah, God willing, on September 27th. Max will be returning on the 18th. And until then, remember to join the movement at AbolishSlavery.us. That's for the Abolish Slavery National Network. And subscribe to our Abolition Today YouTube page for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program. Also, archives of the program can be found on AbolitionToday.org and also all of the uh, podcast networks. Remember to tune in Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern to Live from the Plantation. Until next week, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you. Abolition. 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 As a boy of just 12 years of age, 
I was sent a hundred miles away to drive the cattle. So far from home, I stayed with a gentlemanly landlord who held a slave boy. The slave was near to my age and very kind. The landlord was also kindly. He allowed me to sit at his table with his company. I received considerable praise for every word and deed. But the slave boy, my equal in every way, was badly clothed, poorly fed, lodged in cold weather, and beaten before my eyes with iron shovels or any other thing. And I didn't raise a word to protect him. No one did. Twenty-five years after, in 1837, a pro-slavery mob came upon the warehouse of Elijah P. Lovejoy. He was a minister that put out the Alton Observer newspaper for the abolition of slavery. The mob set fire to his building to burn the printing press, and when the reverend came out to face them, he was shot and killed. I heard this news in an Ohio church, a white man who stood fast for the black slave, as I was unable to do for that young Negro boy, I made a sacred vow. Here, before God, in the presence of these witnesses, from this time, I consecrate my life to the destruction of slavery. In 1855, now a man of many years and a full family, I followed my oldest son to the Kansas Territory, there to do the work of making it free. There was blood in the war in Kansas. My son Frederick was shot and laid to rest there. I then traveled from Kansas to New England to finance my plan for liberty. You may know this plan, of course, to raid Harper's Ferry and there to free and arm the slaves. You may have heard of the bloodshed. Two more of my sons, Oliver and Watson, were killed. Other soldiers died as well. I was captured and in Charlestown convicted of murder, treason against Virginia, and inciting an insurrection, and I was sentenced to hang until death. This is the life you put on trial today. John Brown. Though, some call me Osawatomie Brown, or Old Brown, or, or Captain Brown. I had other aliases also. William Smith, Isaac Smith, S.C. Anderson. So, what do you say? Have you all heard you all of heard John, all Brown? John Brown? Satan! We're gonna tear your kingdom down, Lord Jesus. Good God, I'm 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.